This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson here on Tuesday, September 13th, several days after Scott Frost was fired as Nebraska's head football coach. Uh, a few days to process that information, and we didn't at the time we had the emergency podcast, which thank you for all of the people that have listened to that, that shot up the, uh, the podcast uh, listening charts for us. Right now, um, we we hadn't heard from Trev Alberts yet, and so we're just going to start right there as we dive right into this. No, no banter, no urinal coffee mugs today. It's just straight up Nebraska. Uh, no, the urinal coffee mug is back. I'm sorry, uh, Brunts came prepared, but we're just going to dive straight back into uh, what looks to be the longest coaching search in Nebraska football history. Gentlemen, are you excited about that phrase right there? Well, I mean, so the second longest would be the uh, the Bill Callahan search. I mean that 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 was kind of its own animal, right? I mean, as long as Trev is not sending private planes to pick up head coaches and they come back empty, I think we're going to be be okay in this coaching search. So, um, but I'm, I'm reacting to Trev in the, the the press conference. I I I thought everything he said, you know, made sense. I mean the. The record is what it is. I don't think that there's too you would get much pushback that he pulled the trigger too early. Uh, you know, the big question I think for everybody was the buyout number, and and he addressed kind of addressed that. But I think you can kind of see what happened there. Um, I, I think you know the losing at home to Georgia Southern the way that Nebraska did tends to open the checkbook a little bit quickly. So yeah, I mean the the search is on and. You know, it's going to be a long one, though, which, you know, when you think about it, it kind of fits Trev's personality, right? I mean, I think he's a methodical guy. I think he's going to really take his time. And, you know, I, I think I think that uh, that will help Nebraska to maybe, you know, do a little bit more due diligence ahead of time versus finding out what they've got after the fact. BC, what did you uh, what did you think of Trev Alberts? And I mean, as as a veteran here in this group, you've now covered four different coaching searches at this point. Were you covering? Did you did you cover Frank? You were a college student at that time, right? Um, no, I was in high school. Uh, or when Frank got fired, I was. Are you talking when Frank got yeah. fired? 
yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I was, um, I was uh, in Florida um, at that time in my first job. So no, I did okay. not. So Polini was my first. Um, okay. And uh, that was my first year on the beat at the, my previous job. But yeah, I like that Trev got out in kind of in front of knowing that around here, like everybody's going to say, I heard this guy, I heard that guy, this guy's at high V, you know, all that stuff. Like he, he said, yeah, that's going to happen. And he said, I'm going to talk to a lot of people. And it kind and it was a way of trying at least to give himself, I think, cover. Um, he, I think he does actually want to get the opinions. I, I think he's genuine about that. But at the same time, you can at, you can also see if a guy's interested, and if it if it's a deal where it comes out, you can say, "Well, I told you at the press conference, I was going to talk to a lot of people." I mean, remember that? And so, I think that was like a a smart way of uh, trying to corral this thing from the start. Although I think it's going to be difficult to do. I mean, you've already got Joe Moglia tweeting about you know, Jamie Chadwell, them, there being someone who was talking, asking him about Jamie Chadwell and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it's just going to be a constant thing like that for two to two and a half months. Um, I mean, we already got someone trying to say, well, Matt Campbell's the guy like two days in. I mean, that's, that's a sort of, of course, it's going to be like that. And I think people just got to keep their heads and realize um what whatever you hear on September the rest of this month, I would take it with a grain of salt. What uh, were there any comments in there from Alberts about Mickey Joseph that made you think that there's a realistic chance that if like let's say he goes and he he goes six and three over his nine games, and I think that's about as optimistic of a view as you could have. But that would put Nebraska at seven and five, which is kind of the magical no man's land for Scott Frost, potentially. Would a six and three finish from Mickey Joseph make both of you guys reevaluate the need to hire from outside? Or is it just the happenstance of it, a soft schedule combined with a team that was expected to win six or seven games, ended up at that number after a coaching change? Here's where I fall. Six six and threes are not created equal, and you when you look at what Nebraska's got left on its schedule. I mean, we've talked since you know the the start of the calendar year about that three game schedule, the the three game schedule of Indiana, Rutgers, and Purdue. Right, you've got Illinois there, which I, I mean they play okay football, but it, you know you would. Put that more in the potential win column, I think, generally. So, I mean, if he knocks off, like, let's say you, you finish strong in November. I mean, you, you beat Iowa or Wisconsin. Everybody's feeling kind of good. I mean, I think that probably, you know, gives him at least a, something you can hang your hat on as a potential candidate. I mean, I, if, if the defense starts playing significantly better, I think, you know, that – that, that's another kind of bullet point for him. But I mean, I, from Trev's comments, it's, it kind of seemed like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let it play out and see how it goes. I mean, and I, I, I don't think Mickey's been promised anything by any means. I mean, I, I would expect that if he's not the head coach, that he has a pretty significant chance of being held over to the next staff. But 
I, I don't I don't even know that if they get to seven and five that that conversation changes all that much because I mean even to get there you'd kind of be pretty late in the search anyways I think I would think to suddenly shift course and say that he's the guy. BC, what are your thoughts on uh, Mickey's ability to kind of keep his job if they go six and three or even better? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a fighting shot, uh, but it's it's going to have to be consistent starting this Saturday. And the reason is, um, I mean, yes, they what if he did finish strong? Let's say like in November, they they caught it. You know, they were on a little bit of a roll to end the year. You beat Iowa, you beat Wisconsin or something. By that point, um you might already have your guy identified from the outside. And so this is going to have to be all the way through a very consistent product starting this week almost, or right after the bye, where you roll through those October games and you look really good. And like, you know, suddenly this looks like a different operation sort of than it has. And you feel confident that they're going to get it done. So I think it has to build in the next month to, to have a shot late to, you know, then make, really make that punch. You, you know what I mean? It's got to be, it, there can't be like a dry spell early and then it comes late or vice versa. It's got to be just solid the whole way through, I think, for him to get it. Uh, but I do like, um, I like that he's the guy. Um, and I think his personality, even though it, it's been described as infectious, he's also a no nonsense guy with his receivers. And I think this, football team needs some of that right now i think you know they need some uh black and white type stuff are you in are you out are you going to give it everything to this program and i i i do believe that is his personality to run it that way we'll see what did it mean to you guys that mickey joseph personally called every of nebraska's commits to talk to him about the situation he did that on sunday and monday and confirmed it uh a couple different ways but um, what, what does it mean to you that, that Mickey Joseph's taking his time to, to do that? Uh, in addition to, he's also got to get this team ready to go play Oklahoma. Like this is the fascinating thing about the timing of this is Nebraska's marquee non-conference game is on Saturday. And that feels like such background noise compared to everything we've been talking about for the last 72 hours. I, it makes sense that he called everybody. I mean, you know, he's a good recruiter and, I, I was it James Franklin that one time when he was talking at 24 seven at the back in the day when he was at Vandy, he was talking about how you know, your head coach has to be your best recruiter, not just your closer. They set the tone for everything. And I think Mickey's the type of coach that gets that like, and, and, you know, it's, it's just due diligence too. I mean, there's kids in Florida, Colorado, um, Texas right now that aren't in the bubble here who don't really have a sense of what's going on. You know, a head coach is fired three games into the season. Um, They're probably getting calls from everybody, um, you know, around college football now too. So it, it makes sense to do it. And I I think that's just what you do as a good recruiting head coach is communication and, and transparency. And I think, I think uh, everything we've learned about Mickey as a recruiter since he's been at Nebraska has been that he gets that. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, you know, I, and yeah, I mean, it, he's got probably a, b- a billion things to do this week, but I, I mean, that's, that's a big piece of it too. And especially, you know, if, if he's going to be here next season in some form or fashion, I mean, 
it he <laughs> has to make sure that that next crop of guys is, is still coming in too. Yeah, absolutely. I just um, I appreciated the way that he went about it. I know that in some of these different coaching search situations, uh, the recruits have kind of been sometimes left a little bit in the dark, uh, where they don't hear from anybody from either the outgoing staff or. And this is really premature with the incoming staff. So uh, and then obviously just everything for this is so different because Nebraska still has so much of a season left. Like I don't I don't look for Saturday to be a big visit weekend. Uh, and I'm sure that Mickey Joseph will be asked about it here on Tuesday as he has a press availability. But, uh, you know, recruiting takes a little bit of a backseat. But that's also something that he's really been involved in and. You know, he was reaching out to 24s and 25s as well. So uh, I, I don't look for Nebraska to just set up a, a sign in its recruiting operation that says gone fishing. I mean, they're, they're still going to be uh, trying to put in the work there, but it's going to be interesting what kind of guys show up for these these home games that they have on their schedule. I mean, you got back-to-back, you have Oklahoma, Indiana. Those are two where I think Nebraska is planning on having – you know, a large amount of, of uh, 2023s coming in. We'll see what that sort of looks like. So I'm very interested in that. All right. Um, let's let's dive back over into to some of the coaching stuff. I mean, it's it's been fascinating a couple days in just watching uh, the names getting thrown out there. I think my favorite least likely name that has been mentioned for a variety of reasons and, you know, we, we've got a story up on, on Husker 24-7 on it. There's been multiple tweets. There's been real analysts. There's been fans. But Deion Sanders being linked to the Nebraska job is one of the more ridiculous things that uh, I think is potentially out there. Uh, Brian Christopherson, how would a young younger version of you feel about Coach Prime at Nebraska? Younger version or me, me as I am? Well, um, I want the younger version <laughs> that remembers him as the Florida State player because I certainly don't. Um, these days, I, with all we've seen around here, I, I try to take everything with a little bit of humor and like, well, this will be fun, you know, sort of. So I, I think that's what I would talk myself into with that sort of deal. Like, I, basically, with anybody, that's how I am now. It's just like, well, it'd be an interesting different type of story, but. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some left field stuff that's just thrown up there. I do think, though, I think, you know, like, we have a hot board up, and everybody's trying to guess their, make their own guesses. And I do think there's five or six names that everybody can kind of get around and say, um, yeah, of course you're going to at least reach out or you're going to kick the tires on that. Like, if you didn't, what, what the stink? Like, why wouldn't you, you know? So I think there, I think there is an obvious circle of guys – um and and everyone's five or six is may, maybe the fifth or sixth guy is slightly different but there's like four or so that you always kind of come back to and uh you know an interesting comment from trev was he doesn't have to win the press conference and um i think people knew exactly what he meant there in that you know everybody does these coaching higher grades and you know frost was like an a grade and some of these guys, sometimes they'll get like a C grade, but oh, it was boring, blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up, you know, being a 10 win coach or something. A good example I wrote on our site was Paul Chris to me. Um, he got hired out of Pitt, was 19 and 19 
in three years there, kind of a boring guy behind the podium. You're like, ah, eh, nothing exciting about this. I remember thinking that. And he won 10 plus games, you know, four of the first five years because he fit an identity and philosophy that they had definitely uh, carved out that they saw that this is going to work. So maybe a guy like Lance Leipold or Chris Kleiman, I don't know. Maybe they are those type of guys uh, that fall into that category, but that's going to be something to keep in mind is that Trev doesn't care what the columnists I think write the next day, if he nailed it or didn't, it's about what it looks like two years from now. As a, as a lip reader, I can tell you there's nothing boring about Paul Christ on the sidelines during a game. No, that's that, true. <laughs> that man looks like he uh, he spent plenty of time in the, the U.S. Navy at sea learning all sorts of new and exciting ways to phrase things. Uh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize some of those words could be adverbs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just feel like you, you got to be careful when you're around that guy. I mean, he's it seems like there's a bit of a mean streak there. But uh, Brunts, who's you know, BC mentioned there's some some common names. Look, if, if you were going to go way out into left field, if you were going to say, all right, I want to at least make this guy say no before I move to the more conventional candidates. Do you have like, is there is there someone that kind of makes sense in that regard for you? The the long shot, but you 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 would approach them and, and make them say no, try, try and money whip them. Yeah. Uh I, I guess for me, that guy would be like a Dave Aranda. I mean, I think, I, I think Big Ten experience, I think, is helpful. I think you definitely need a guy that's run, you know, Power Five programs, guy that's been around, you know, SEC type programs like Aranda has. Um, I, if we're on kind of a um, a spectrum of offensive to defensive minded head coaches. I probably am probably in the middle with a slight lean over to more of a defensive style head coach. Um, that that's probably where I would go first. I would consider him probably a, a long shot, but I think somebody with that kind of steadiness and experience would, would win significantly at Nebraska. Um, you know, it, the, the Urban Meyer name is out there. I mean, you, I mean, maybe at least ask if you're comfortable with everything else that comes with, uh, with, with Urban Meyer. But Did you see his comments uh, that he had to Fox yesterday? Uh, I, I read them. Did you make anything of it? Does it mean anything to you? Well, I mean, he didn't say me um, for who they should hire. I noted that. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I, nothing really stood out too much there to me. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the national types have kind of landed on the same style of coach that, that they think is good for Nebraska. I know that some people are even saying that Nebraska, what was it yesterday that Nebraska needs to ask itself if it's good enough to hire a good coach, an up and coming coach, a currently employed coach, a coach that knows how to spell his own name a coach that understands that this isn't seven on seven, a coach that understands that you have to recruit. Uh, let's see. What else did I see? Uh, maybe we'd go to some of our colleagues from CBS that can offer the <laughs> list of, uh, of what Nebraska can and can't choose. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I would assume Trev Alberts could use that kind of guidance. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, you're going to get a lot of that, 
But I mean, I, I I do think though that that Nebraska, given everything that they've tried the last few years, you know, needs to. I think Trev laid it out pretty well that you you, you don't need the flash, you don't need, um, you know, kind of the, the 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 kind of underdog story, I guess, like that that you know did a lot with the little. I mean, you're going to have some of that, but. I, I do think that there's a profile of coach out there that, that would fit Nebraska pretty well. I think Dave Aranda would be great, but I, I think it's uh, for a number of reasons, probably a long shot. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. BC, some of the candidates mentioned are guys that come from group of five conferences. Nebraska just did that with Scott Frost. He struggled, he struggled to adjust to the style of play difference going from the group of five to the Big Ten. Would that be a fear of yours uh, as Nebraska assesses candidates, you know, like a Jamie Chadwell yeah. or, or um, you know, Hoff over at Marshall or Jason Candle in, in the MAC or, or whomever? I mean, those guys sort of emerge every year, but would you have concern about adjusting to what I think is one of the more unique conferences in all of college football? Um, I wouldn't cross a guy out by any means for it, but I would have it like on my top two or three questions when I'm talking to him, like about we, it would be a big priority of the discussion of like, how, how do you merge into this conference? Like you, when, as you look at the big 10 from afar, what, what are your answers for this type of league and the physicality it presents? But even then I would have concerns because I think until, and I think Scott Frost learned the hard way with this until you see it up close for a year or two. um, There are, I think sometimes ideas from the outside about the big 10 that you can do this or that. And then you get going into late October and it's a, this league wears you down if you don't have the horses up front and you find out in a hurry and I think uh, it took a couple of years to at least kind of try to get that going here. Um, so that I do think that's a legitimate concern is the short answer to that. Um, and Huff's in his second year, right, at Marshall, I think. Yes. Yep. I mean, that, I would say this, too. That worry would worry me a little bit of a guy who um, I think you got to be careful to not get caught up in what I call the March Madness hiring uh, phase where – you go after that guy who he got it. He claimed a big pelt. He's on his wall from this year. Um, or he got to the sweet 16 in March, you know, and suddenly he's got a power five job because they made a run over a weekend. I think you got to be very careful and see that there's a pattern of success. And I'd, I'd honestly want a guy who had at least four or five years of a track record there. Fickle's a different story. I mean, Cincinnati's in the pl- 
playoff last year. And his and Big I, Ten experience. I yeah. Think, alone I mean, if you ask me one name, like, I don't know, you could get, it'd be kind of fun to hear your guys. Like right now, if you ask me, like, who would you just pick and feel really solid about? Like Fickle would be my name. I just think, like, I don't know that he wants to leave Ohio. You know, Cincinnati's moving conferences and stuff like that. Maybe he's just fine there. Um, but I, he's definitely a guy I would reach out to. Yeah, I uh, I look at Luke Fickle as sort of one of your upper echelon uh, candidates because of every – he, you know, in, in Brunt's parlance, he checks a lot of boxes. I mean, he's a defensive head coach. He spent almost his entire career at Ohio State. Uh, and at – and I think what's important, too, is not only was he at Ohio State, but he got to have the experience of coaching with both Jim Trestle – and Urban Meyer. He's seen different ways to do things. I think he understands the conference really well in the sense of how you can build a winner there, what you have to do to be successful. The other thing, I mean, he went to the group of five and you would think coming out of the Big Ten, he would build his team a certain way. And they were one of the most explosive teams in the country on offense while also retaining a smash you in the face beat you up, can cover you with NFL pick defensive players too. So I I just, I think one of the things that stands out to me about Fickle that's a little bit different than Frost is that he has that background of the Big Ten Conference. So the fact that he'd be coming from the group of five wouldn't really worry me. And then on top of it, he's been there longer than Frost was at UCF. So it's not just sort of a, a situation where it was lightning in a bottle. I mean, you you made that March Madness reference, and all I could think of was the bidding war over uh, John Gross, who ended up at Illinois. Yeah. Like, Nebraska badly wanted him. Illinois wanted him. Someone else wanted him. And why? Because Ohio got really hot, won the MAC, mm-hmm. won a couple games in the tournament, and he turned it into a five-year run of ugly orange blazers. So, uh, you know, I, I think that you, you hit on something there. Like, you don't want to get too caught up on what someone's doing just in 2020 two you want a, a body a resume that i think really kind of shows and and with that i want to go to brunts because we're talking about sitting head coaches outside of bill o'brien is there even a coordinator that you would strongly consider at this point in time or do you get the sense that this is going to be another head coach which was for nebraska would be the third straight time they've hired a, a sitting head coach somewhere no, I mean, I think it's got to be a sitting head coach with or somebody with significant power five experience. If they're, you know, like BC's right, where you don't want to get caught up in kind of the coach du jour. You don't want to, um, you know, have a coach coming in that's, you know, running a program like Nebraska that size for the first time. I mean, I, I think that. When, when people talk about the fishbowl at Nebraska, there's a significant fishbowl. That's that's a real thing. But I think also there's a step up in running a program the size of Nebraska's. I mean, when you're talking about a $150 million practice facility um, opening next summer, the, the type of budget that Nebraska has now that they're flush with Big Ten cash, um, you know, I, I, I think – Nebraska itself is kind of a program that's tough to wrap its wrap your arms around it. I mean, when you've got 140 guys on the roster, that's a significant challenge and step up from other places. 
And, you know, you're doing that with the pressure of being the only game in town. So I think that's another consideration you have to look at is, you know, who can kind of surround themselves with the right people, can build a good staff. Um, you know, the recruiting portion of it's really important. But I, I think kind of that like program building mindset is also really important. And I think that that's something that, you know, even though he was familiar with it, I think that Scott Frost struggled a little bit with was the organizational part of it. The, um, you know, who's who's doing what, um, you know, just that that kind of day to day stuff. And I think if you've, you know, been a power five head coach, you you understand how that works and, you know, have maybe made mistakes elsewhere and, and learn from them. So that, that's another factor, I think, that that Trev will probably weigh pretty heavily is, is just that experience. So you're not, you know, you're Nebraska is probably not a learn on the job type of program. Does this hire Brian become more critical than past years because Nebraska is coming off such a woeful five-year run um, that it, it almost feels like every hire every single time is huge. And I don't want to, you know, it's, it's hard to, to get into that comparison, but in particular, it feels like there's a dangerous slope if this one doesn't work at least to the degree of getting Nebraska out of a losing streak cycle. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I there's always chance to bring people back who walk away for a while, like within the fan base, you know what I mean? So, like you could do that five years from now too, possibly, if this one failed. So you never want to act like it's, it's just this one has mm-hmm. to hit or else. I sometimes see that out there and it's like, no, that's not the way sports works. You can – some franchises suck for 40 years and then suddenly they're good for a while, you know, like that, that, that can happen. But I think your question is a fair one because – um, the concern is you now have like every student that's at UNL right now, what they, all they know about Nebraska's greatness is attached to what their dad told them or, you know, what somebody they see on the wall, you know, or outside the stadium. It's not anything that they lived through or grew up, you know, like when I was a kid, um, you know, you grew up watching Nebraska, Oklahoma, for example, and it was like the biggest game in the country. And you, it, you, you knew that all eyes were on your team from your state and people around here just haven't had that experience. So I think it is important um, to try to right now establish something because you have probably almost lost a generation um, or you're in, you're risking losing a generation. If you keep going on the pattern, you are. One of the names we haven't touched on yet uh, currently in the NFL, but coming off of a week one loss Brunch, do you think Matt Rule would be someone that you would want to see what happens with his situation uh, flirting right now with the potential of being one of the first coaches fired in the NFL, but highly successful at Baylor, highly successful at Temple? Would you want to see what happens with Matt Rule uh, if you were in Trev Albert's chair? Yes, I would. I mean, everything that he did at Temple, everything he did at Baylor, turning them around, I mean, it's... And in, in, I guess in my words, he does check a lot of boxes. I mean, he's built programs. He's turned around programs. I mean, I I don't know about you guys, but I get the sense that we're going to have a pretty good read on where things stand with him by, like, Halloween, you know? Like, I, I, I think that's just kind of where – I think by Columbus Day. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of a holiday between now and then, so thank you. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I, I think – I, I think that's 
uh, an entrant into the conversation and just based on how things have gone, I mean, I, I don't know that what's happened in Carolina necessarily removes the shine from him as a candidate, because I just think some guys are built for college. Some mm -hmm. guys are built for the pros. And I, I think that's been pretty clear from the way things have gone in Carolina that perhaps Matt Rule needs to be back in the college game. What, yep. uh, BC? What are your what are your thoughts on uh, Matt Rule? I, I agree with Brett. He's one of my, my top two or three guys. I, he really? really is. Yeah. I, so okay, I, let's do this. You mean? Do you have a top three? Do either of you have a top three? I could name three that I like the best, maybe. Uh, Fickle, a rule, and I like Matt Campbell. I do. Um, I, 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 I understand the reservation there um, with, um, you know, ha he hasn't been and been in a place where he's won nine, ten, ten games like over and over again. And you say, can you actually do that? You know, um, but I think he's fighting uphill a little bit at Iowa State. Not as much as they used to, though. I would say that they they're starting to add resources themselves, uh, but that's my three for now. Okay, Brunts, Dave Aranda, and then I would say I would say Aranda, um, Fickle, and I, I, Campbell and Rule are probably about even for me. I'd probably lean Rule a little bit more just based on the the win loss piece of it at different schools. I mean, I. I think Campbell would be fine at Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I just think that uh, Rule might be just a little bit ahead of him in, in my uh, in my head. Yeah, I, I think we're all fairly similar. I mean, I, for whatever reason, tend to gravitate towards guys I know Nebraska has no real chance of getting. And so I'll just continue to throw out uh, – Brunts is waiting for it. Look, if Nebraska wants someone who can uh, build out of the – minute resources and low recruiting classes and find a winner. Dave Clawson's done that everywhere he's been. Uh, but I don't look, I don't look for Dave Clawson to leave Wake Forest. If you wanted, if you wanted like a real dark horse name and someone that I think Nebraska could attempt to go money whip, even though it's his alma mater, BYU's coach Kalani Sataki absolutely represents, I think, everything Nebraska fans would want. First of all, he's a former fullback. So that in itself would get people fired up. Second of all, and I know that Michael Brunch pays attention to football played after midnight, getting home on Saturday, having just watched a track meet that was Georgia Southern and Nebraska, and putting on Baylor and BYU. And I don't want to sound like one of those olds that, you know, refers to the different sound when you hear a home run, like the crack off of a bat. But the sounds of the pads popping in Provo – <laughs> on Saturday was just glorious. I mean, you had hits that like the Big Ten Conference would have suspended the guy for three weeks. I mean, it was just it was great to see. I mean, it was phone booth football. And both of those coaches, whether it's Dave Aranda or or you know uh Stocky at BYU, I mean, just absolute physical grown man football, like the scrapping and the fighting over these short yardage. I mean, it was just, it was glorious. And, it, and I don't know if, again, the juxtaposition of, I just watched both Nebraska and Georgia Southern barely attempt to play defense at all for an entire four-hour football game. But uh, those two coaches and that brand of football, I think, would work really well. And, I mean, 
that guy is like 48 and 23 since taking over for Bronco Mendenhall. He's had NFL. He's like Zach Wilson. I mean, they've won where they've had to throw it around the yard. They've won where uh, Tyler Algiers is, is the running back now at, in Atlanta uh, and had a really good camp. And he was like a fifth round pick. He was one of the best running backs in college football last year. So BYU can do it a variety of different ways. Bronco Mendenhall was enticed to leave Provo. I would, I mean, it, it is outside the box, but I would certainly have to make that phone call to his representation and be like, look, I mean, I'm sure you're you're very happy where you're at. How does doubling your salary sound? Because BYU is not known for paying a lot for their coaches. I mean, <clears throat> last year, I think his number was sitting right around $2 million, and he signed an extension, but I don't think it was, you know, blow it out of the water money. Nebraska comes by with five or six million. He's going to have to think about that. And I think he could build a really good program here. I really do. Um, but again, like I said, I gravitate towards these like really far flung ideas. So we'll, we'll see if there's even a conversation there, but I I'm with you guys. I, I like fickle a lot. I mean, I think he would be my number one of, of the most likely candidates uh, at this point in time. And then, Matt Rule, I think, is someone you have to almost get told no by. I think that he's going to want to coach right away, just based on everything I've ever read about the guy. I don't think he's going to sit out. I don't think he's going to go to a Nick Saban school of rehabilitation and be a defensive coordinator somewhere. I think he wants to have that smock, and I think he wants to wear it on the sidelines. And uh, I think he'll be doing it in 2023. It's just a matter of where. And Lincoln seems like just as good of a place as anywhere. And he was – I mean – I don't think that this is breaking any news, but there was a lot of reports that he was very heavily paying attention to what James Franklin was going to do at Penn State because he's a Philadelphia guy. He's a Pennsylvania guy. I mean, so he he knows the Big Ten, and and I think he would fit well in that conference. So, uh, And then I, I would be fine with Matt Campbell too, but um, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go in this coaching search. And when you start it on September 11th, uh, you get a lot of opportunity to think about and, and talk about these guys. Any other names you want to throw out there? No, that was a like good. That was a most of that them. was a good. Uh, the BYU coach is a good, uh, different name than you're hearing to at least yeah. bring up. And I think you bring up the point of salary and stuff. It's interesting with you've you mentioned earlier in this pod some of the national guys who are like, well, who the heck can Nebraska get? It's a sort of a weird thing because these are the same guys who breathlessly cover. Um, conference realignment and all this stuff and 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 they know there's two superpower conferences right, right now if you have a job in one of those two conferences it's a pretty good job and if you happen to have a job at a place that's in one of those conferences that has a rich history with that's building a huge facility and that has a passionate fan base i would say it's a very good job still <laughs> so uh it's it, any any talk like that is it to me is is silliness from the same people who will tell you the Big Ten and SEC are separate from everyone else. Well, coaches know that too. You know, guys who are in the Big Twelve and stuff. So they're they're thinking about like this conference situation, and maybe I want to be in that league. However, I can get there. So that's a part of this. Do Do you think some of the national conversation about Nebraska is that the Huskers only ended up with Scott Frost because he had played there? And from the outside, Scott Frost is still viewed as this genius offensive mind, whereas for those of us that have covered this for the last five years, there's a lot of questions coming out of 
what we just watched for four seasons and three football games. So the idea that it didn't work with what was expected to be the best possible hire they could make suddenly makes Nebraska look like a toxic place to anyone that hasn't spent time here. I, I think the prevailing thought, and, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it for when he was hired, it was basically, okay, if Scott Frost can't turn this around, who can? And I think it's one thing to say that. That's just stupid. Yeah. Anyways. But I, I think it's it's one thing to say that if Nebraska was like playing good football, like if if they came out and were just like clicking offensively, the defense was great, they weren't shooting themselves in the foot every week on special teams and still losing. Yeah, like I I could maybe I could maybe start to have that conversation. But when you're every week losing the turnover battle, you're getting killed in field position, special teams takes four years to get in, in, you know, back to like a, an okay place. The defense has given up yards and points like crazy and not forcing any turnovers. Like it's, I, I think what we've seen the last four years is if you play smart, consistent football, you can win at Nebraska. Like I, I think, I, and I think that maybe has been lost on a lot of the national folks is like, it's not like things were clicking here in the last four years and it's just, you know, Nebraska's outmanned. They're out, you know, they, they don't have the talent, et cetera. Like it, it, I think of anything on this coaching search, what, what Nebraska is doing as they enter into it is Nebraska, you can still win at Nebraska. Like that's, that's the thing yeah. that I, I keep coming back to is it just, it feels like this search has a lot fewer question marks about the direction of the program in the next 10 to 20 years than what there's been in the past. There's a lot fewer caveats to whatever this is going to look like um, once they have a head coach. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just I, I think that's the, di- the big difference is that you just got to find somebody that can play smart, consistent football. That's what Trev always says. It, it does – does Trev Alberts make the job more attractive in the sense that you have an athletic director that's likely to be there for a while and also an athletic director that's a out-and-out football guy, whereas the, the trend in college athletics is to, to move to more business acumen, fundraisers, maybe guys that didn't either play the sport or didn't you know have that kind of connection to it. Alberts in some ways is a little bit of a throwback to the sort of athletic directors that are being phased out right now. Yeah. I mean, I think he'd be a pretty appealing guy to work for, uh, especially, I mean, if you get the job, you know, you, whoever that is obviously hit it off with them and there was a chemistry there off the bat. So um, all your points, I think carry the way to why uh, that'd be good. And, and then, you know, the facility thing does matter too. They, it's like, wow, this place actually after as COVID was happening and beyond is building this, you know, uh, really heavily financially, you know, a heavy financial burden and they're taking it on to build this facility. Uh, That's going to impress people. The NIL stuff will impress people. Um, And the fact that they haven't won lately, a coach looks at that and says, okay, I have a little runway, you know, like I don't have to go in and be like it was in 2003 and win 10 games off the bat necessarily. You know, if I went eight and five or whatever, and I kind of bit slow build, um, 
there there would be time with that um, that there wasn't in the past at Nebraska. Um, so I I I think coaches this is just it's not completely just pulled out of thin air either. I believe coaches looked at Nebraska's job the last five years and still saw it as attractive and probably were more asking themselves, why aren't they winning more there? And probably thinking I could win more there, you know, with that. I, Cause it, coaches have egos, you know, they believe they can get it done. So I think that's the way a lot of guys are probably looking at this job. All right. Last <laughs> question, critical question. I need you guys to be as honest as you possibly can be. Which one of you ordered the cameos of Bob Stoops and Fran McCaffrey consoling poor Brian and the family business? BC might have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> so, so I think we can. I think we can rule BC out. Brunts, did you order the cameos? Actually, hold on. BC, do you know what a cameo is? Yeah, but I don't know what we're talking about. Okay, Brunts, you want to fill them in? Yeah, basically, Bob Stoops. Um, somebody bought a cameo from Bob Stoops um, to, to send, a, or basically, like he was talking to Brian Ferentz about running the family business into the ground, and it was going to be it was going to be okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they uh, they managed somehow to do the same thing with Fran McCaffrey in in both of these situations, where the video is addressed to a Brian that's having a really rough time right now. But he needs to hold on, you know, can be a lot stronger uh, and and fight through the pain and the challenges. And, uh, and uh, in what's been a weird first three weeks of the football season, that's been some pretty great levity right there over the last couple of days. I needed I needed that levity last night in the midst of Denver, basically defying all logic in, in uh, game management, clock management, etc. So that, that got me through. Still time for you to get on the uh, the Kevin O'Connell train. I, I might need to. Um, apparently, they don't have clocks in Denver, or we're very confused by how they work. And is timeouts, it, too. Is it possible that it's all Parker Gabriel's fault because he's never covered a normal football game since, you know, roughly 2015? But he covered he covered Russell Wilson in college, like he's seen. Okay yeah, Russell football. Wilson didn't play normal football games in college. Yeah, the Michigan State Hail Mary game, the you know, I, it was look. more normal than what we saw last night. And <laughs> I'm a little bit if if Parker made it to 44 minutes of this, I'm a little bit disappointed that he didn't just go Mike Wallace last night in the post game interviews. Like, I would have expected more. <laughs> wow from from <laughs> parker or from nathaniel hackett both because nathaniel hackett sounds like the you know a guy who served in the revolutionary war yeah he sound like the kind of guy who's gonna get you the right play call on fourth and five so you don't have to kick a 64 yard field goal he, he was he was the guy that was out with lewis and clark as they marched across america and got him <laughs> into trouble because he couldn't read a, read a freaking clock oh man well, i don't i don't know that they had you know clocks in that sense i'm, I'm assuming uh, they had watches back then did they not no i don't i don't think they had any casios or anything like that you know i, I think they had to use sundials <laughs> he's be probably still wouldn't have called a timeout based on the sundial i feel like the sundial would be tough to read especially out there in seattle where there is no sun um all right any final thoughts as we finish up uh, another glorious edition of the husker 24 7 podcast 
do you believe that clocks are like a recent fad? Like you made it sound like clocks only came about in like the 1950s. No, but I'm just not imagining on their journey across America, Lewis and Clark were wearing wristwatches or bringing a grandfather clock with them in their multiple boats going up and down the They got the little the Casio with the calculator <laughs> yeah, on it. That's, that's what I made the Casio joke for. So, I'm going I'm to get off here and I'm going to Google, did Lewis and Clark wear watches? All right. I want the full answer on this. B- BC wants to go. He's done with this. No, no, no. It's it's starting to get a little chatty around here, so I'm getting a little nervous, you know. Okay. Well, you can you can go. You can talk to your friends. You don't have to spend time with us. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd rather be with you guys. All right. Well, everyone should be at Husker 24-7, quite frankly, because we've got a plenty of content uh, rolling around about this coaching search, rolling around about interim coach Mickey Joseph. We also have recruiting coverage. We have plenty of podcasts going up, and uh, the three of us are appearing on different shows of 24-7 throughout the week to talk about uh, Nebraska's coaching search and the fallout of all of that. There is actually a football game this weekend that might get lost in the shuffle a little bit. We won't let you forget about it, though. The Hypecast will be back on Thursday, so be sure to check that out. Uh, but seriously, get over to Husker247.com. We've got a great deal going right now. If you're not a VIP subscriber, this is the time to sign up. You want the coaching search news. You don't want to sit there and try to figure stuff out by reading headlines or texting your buddy to copy and paste the article to send it to you. You want this directly on your phone, on your computer screen. I don't know what other devices you could use to get Husker 24-7, but you wanted to sign up right now. we got a great deal going. It's not going to last forever. But if you want everything going on with the coaching search, Husker 24-7 has you covered. We'll be back with another podcast later this week.